Hello, and welcome to Women Developing Brilliance. I'm your host, Casey Rossi. It's my great pleasure to present interesting stories of creative women sharing their message and lighting up the world with their presence and offerings. Get ready to be inspired. You can learn more about creating a business that you love by visiting kcrossi.com. Enjoy. My guest today is Sarah Eisenberg. Sarah is a healer, herbalist, activist, and elder. As a lifelong learner, Sarah draws on her many years of questioning, practice, training, and experience as a guide, facilitator, and educator in community, academia, and spiritually-based settings. She is the founder of A Life of Practice, her online home where she integrates her work in non-dual Kabbalistic healing, herbal medicine, and radical inclusion with A Life of Practice. I literally felt like I could have had a cup of tea for hours with Sarah. We really dove deep into some very relevant topics and how we can break ourselves open and really revolutionize our habits to serve us to the greatest ability. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Sarah, I am so looking forward to having this conversation with you for a multitude of reasons. One, I love your style. Two, I love your dedicated practice of how you bring so many pieces and parts to your work and how you acknowledge us as a holistic being. So I know this is going to be such a juicy conversation. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. I'm very curious about your definition of a life of practice. Well, first of all, it's a call to myself. The brand kind of revealed itself to me about seven years ago now. And I realized that the way that I want to live my life is by showing up. And mm. I've never had, except for a few years, a real, like, serious, disciplined daily practice. You know, people who get up early in the morning and they have their order of the things that they do and they're very dedicated to it. And I've never been able to do that. But I have always tried to learn from whatever life is presenting to me. And so, it's really a call to myself to continue to show up and to do that so that I can be of real service and not lead people down false trails or encourage them to be something that they're not or something, anything like that. I love that. It's interesting because what's coming to mind is the attention to not being perfect you know, and not following someone else's paradigm of what that looks like, step one, step two, step three. And I think that it's not as trendy as it was maybe a year or two ago, but like that, what's my morning routine and what I eat in a day and all of that stuff where there was like these expectations of what success looks like and what we all tried to model when we saw experts doing that. So it sounds like a very gentle practice. I feel like your energy is very gentle as well. Would you agree? I would agree. It's a lot of the focus is really on hospitality the problems that we encounter mostly come from what we leave out, not from the stuff that we know, and not understanding the limitations of what it is that we know, or applying what we know beyond its actual role, making taking some rule and making it a rule for life when it's actually helpful in one little part of life. So it's sorting all that out and then just really developing a hospitality internally towards all the different parts of ourselves and welcoming those in and 
I think it's easy for people to get confused about boundaries. This doesn't mean that you don't have boundaries and that you welcome everything in unabashedly from the outside world. We need to know, we need to learn what to take in that's healthy for us and helps us thrive and what does not. So it's not about that. It's this inclusion is about our internal state and including the parts of ourselves that are remain a mystery to us. Yeah, almost especially. I often say success is showing up as well. And I think when we give ourselves permission to honor all the facets of ourselves in that regard, like every single bit, like the bumpy bits and the brilliant bits and like everything in between, I feel that sometimes we need to even give ourselves permission to do that because of some of the standards that are out there and some of just the social norms that we've really become conditioned by. What are some tips that can help someone really tap into that internal purpose and be more internally focused versus looking to the external for our framework? I think initially it's figuring out what's the time and space that you can set aside to quiet down and actually listen to yourself. And I think for different people that takes different forms. For some people, actually, it's activity that helps them to do that. It burns off enough energy and gets them quiet enough so that they can actually feel and hear, hear themselves. For others of us, like myself, I have this space that you see behind me. It's, this is my, my retreat room as well as my work room. And when I really need to settle down and be quiet, I need that kind of space. For some people, it's walking in nature and connecting with something other than the human designed. <laughs> just natural forms and the aliveness of trees and plants or working in the garden. I think sometimes it's a little bit of exploration for each person to find the way that they can do that to access themselves. In working with other people, I think partnering is another way to do this. I mean, and, you know, some people are able to do this with body workers, you know, through the exchange of touch and so on. So there are many different paths you know, the joy for me in my work is that showing up that invites that and allows people to be quiet enough. And when you enter into a conversation, whether it's at, well, we don't have informal social functions anymore, but when we did, <laughs> you would kind of feel out, you mentioned the word norms, you kind of feel out the space and you'd listen to the conversation, try to figure out, you know, how to enter that conversation. So when you encounter someone who you know gets you and gets what's going on with you. It's really, to me, it's that those people are the lifesavers in my life. They're they're my go-to people when I'm falling apart and I need to be reminded because I can't always remind myself. And this is the way we kind of roll with one another's gifts and, and limitations. Yeah, I love that. It just brings to mind, you know, I used to be really hiding behind the label of an introvert. And when I would go to those social functions and networking events, you're right. The people that welcomed me with a warm smile and fully showed up and listened to me or was like, oh, come and sit next to me. I like never forgot them. Like they're still very much a part of my heart because it makes all the difference in the world, right? To be seen and to be welcomed and to have your nerves be settled. So I really appreciate that you mentioned that. And the other thing that I really feel from you and I love is this whole sense of allowing. Allowing, it feels like it's really a big part of your philosophy, allowing the things to be present and allowing even the choice and options of what it is for you It may be activity for some, and it may be meditation for some, and it may be getting filled up from external sources, and it may be 
nestling into the little section of your cozy, quiet space. And I really love that because I think for some people and for many of us, you know, we're really looking for a blueprint and a framework and like a step-by-step thing. Like if it worked for them, it's going to work for me. And I think that that sometimes can make that inward journey be much more looking out there. How are they doing it? Am I doing it right? And like we're matching. And I love the fact that you're allowing us to have our own autonomy in this. The whole purpose of this kind of inner work is actually to become more and more who ourselves. And so we need to uncover the idealizations that we've taken in about who we want to be. And we have a picture and we kind of work towards that. And the fine line here is walking that line of allowing and accepting while still being open to growing. So it's not a binary. It's not a one thing or the other. It's a real, and it can be a fine line and we can easily fall to one side or the other of this. But it's really doing both. There's, I think, part of modernity and part of, I think, even entrepreneurship and solopreneurship has to do with this sort of the Western mind's idea of endless progress. I and love so, it. especially, there's so many paths to self discovery that it's very easy to treat oneself as an ongoing personal development project, (laughs) you know, and make yourself a project and that cuts the aliveness out of it. So it's used learning to use the discernment about how much of someone's program is actually helpful. Where does it support me? And where does no? this part of it really doesn't work for me and to make those kinds of choices. So many good points there, actually. I'm trying to keep them all in my brain. I'm a huge fan of Kaizen philosophy, the never-ending improvement. I love that overlay of personal development and being really curious and knowing that it's about the journey. But one thing I'm very curious about your wisdom, because you're very tapped in, is for people that lean towards the perfectionist scale, what can they do to start developing self-trust? Kindness just really simple kindness. I've noticed, particularly during these pandemic times, but also any time that I've been particularly under a lot of personal stress, someone can make just a really kind gesture or a few kind words, and and it'll just bring me to tears because I'm in that state of I'm just so tense, but it somehow cuts through that and gets to the tenderness. It's something that we have to cultivate. It comes naturally for most of us much more naturally to treat other people that way (laughs) and not to treat ourselves that way. So my elevator talk for years has been kindness and honesty that we, in our honesty, when we turn that inside, it often is kind of a brutal form of self-judgment. All the voices that we internalize from our childhood to our various, to our bosses and our colleagues and our culture, all the places that we picked up those ideas so we can be kind of brutal on ourselves. We need to bring in that kindness to balance. So it's, that's really the heart of practice is, is holding those two. And when do I need a little bit more of one? When do I need a little bit more of the other? Not to let myself, because we don't want to let ourselves off the hook either. It's not about being mushy with ourselves. (laughs) 
No, absolutely. Like you said before, you alluded to that balance. And it's interesting. I had a birthday yesterday. And of course, you know, on Facebook, everyone can, you know, wish you happy birthdays. And I just, to your point of a simple act of kindness can bring tears to your eyes. You know, it was like kind of just scrolling through the happy birthdays and, you know, really sweet sentiments. But in general, most of the time it's happy birthday, have a great year ahead, you know? And so I'm like getting through and there was just this one comment and it was a friend that reflected how she saw me. And it literally like took my breath away, right? And it was like this, whoa. And first of all, there's vulnerability for her to even share that publicly on my page. And it really stopped me. And it really like, it it slowed my roll when I was scrolling and it really touched my heart, you know? And something like that, it's such a pattern interrupt and it's such a, like, it really allowed me to drop in. And it really made me think like, I would love to do that for someone else you know, like when it's their birthday, because I really was so touched. And I was like, if I can help, or if I can just spread this positive ripple of like, how it made me feel, you know, it would be a beautiful thing. Right. And it does something for us. Uh, Yesterday I was was scrolling through a website online and I ran across the name of a woman who I'd taken a, a workshop with in the early 1990s that had a profound effect on my life. I had never seen or talked to her since then. And I was like, oh, there's her email. So I just wrote her an email and I said, you know, hello. And I took this workshop and here's the impact that it had on me and and my work. And I really want to thank you. And it made me feel great because it's funny when we, it's the giving and receiving. It's not always clear in that kind of moment who's the giver and who's the receiver. It's very nourishing for us to come to that level of reality and see someone in that way and honor that. Absolutely. It's funny how things are so timely. You know, there's just no coincidences. And we, I love serendipity. I think it's really juicy. And to that point of the giver and the receiver, I was having a conversation with a close friend and she was saying that a mutual friend of ours had gifted her her stimulus check and she wanted to return it. And she's like, I absolutely can't accept this. I'm going to return it. And I said, like, let's just have a second here and like, let's just look at this. And, you know, do you honor and respect this friend? Like, do you trust that she has integrity, you know? And like, how would it make you feel? Like, in a way, we really dove deep and it was like, okay, like, is it a problem receiving? Because if you trust her and her integrity, what would it feel like to receive open-heartedly? Like she had an intention and you had an open heart and you received it. Like, and it's for a reason, right? And we had a really cool conversation, but I do think that, well, in so many times, especially in just really heartful giving, both the giver and the receiver benefit and there's an opportunity to blossom on both sides. Right, in my healing path, uh, which is non-dual Kabbalistic healing, in the training, we used to talk about the healer and the healee as the vertical and the horizontal holy one. <laughs> oh, tell me more about that. This is new. <laughs> non-dual Kabbalistic healing is based in the Jewish mystical tradition of Kabbalah, and with a good dose of Buddhist emptiness, it was developed by Jason Schulman, and it's taught through studying and practicing this work for about 25 years. And the heart of it is this non-dual. That's where the welcoming comes in. That's where the whole 
the of everything, of not leaving, of not leaving anything out. It comes from a path of contemplation of reality and understanding how the dynamics of reality work. And the reason that be able to come more and more ourselves is because all these pieces are here. And as long as we only let, you know, in 50, 60, 75, 80% of who we are, we're missing worlds in ourselves. And we're missing worlds in the external reality. So welcoming everything in with deep hospitality and understanding that the universe is based on relationship and the dynamic of giving and receiving. Kabbalah actually talks about all human beings as being female in relation to God, meaning we're receiving the that that we're receiving. So that can get into a lot of complicated places and does because they also do a lot of identity work. around race and gender. And so, you know, we have to walk that language carefully too. Absolutely. Thank you for explaining that. What a beautiful science it sounds like. What is the correlation of the horizontal that you were referring to? The horizontal would be the person who's being healed, who is supposedly receiving, but actually the relationship, what the healer is doing is fully receiving that person and the divinity and in that person. So the healer is sitting as the receiver and the healee is receiving, being received in that way, is receiving their own presence essentially reflected back to them. Wow, that's beautiful. Man, if we could just have a drink from that cup every day, what a different world we would have. It would be, and we can, we actually can sip at it every day. Did you ever just wish there was a group of high-vibe women entrepreneurs that you could hang out with? A place where you could share your wins, get a biz question asked, and be around people that just get you? Well, there is, my friend. It's my Women Developing Brilliance Facebook group. I created a place on the web where like minds and open hearts could continue the conversations that we start here on the podcast. Fulfill your desire to develop friendships with women from around the globe, women who are on the solopreneur journey just like you. Now more than ever, we are craving authentic connections. Believe me, your voice matters, your work matters, and having the support of a close-knit community can make all the difference in the world. So head over to Facebook and go to facebook.com groups slash Women Developing Brilliance and request to join my private Women Developing Brilliance Facebook group, the gathering place for heart-centered female entrepreneurs looking to create an impact, increase their income, and connect deeply with themselves and others in the process. I can't wait to welcome you in my Women Developing Brilliance Facebook group, where you'll be encouraged to introduce yourself, ask a question, and meet other ambitious light workers just like you. Again, it's facebook.com slash groups slash women developing brilliance. I'll catch you there. So are part of your sipping practices yoga and meditation and writing? Well, the yoga is way back in the background. So I do have a background in that, but it's not an alive part of this practice. It's more for me working with the material of everyday life. So my own stories, it's just really delving into what's going on here and what do I have to learn from this? What is my attention being called for? What do I need to focus on here? Does my energy need to go into this or, or not? 
and what do I have to learn for, from this? And writing very much helps me with that. So it's really one of the, much as a life of practice is a call to me to stay present. The blog is, my blog is a way to my practice for how to translate what I'm learning so that that learning can be useful to other people. They can recognize, oh yes, I know that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I never thought about it that way. Or, oh, just, just to touch someone and to know that their life experience lives elsewhere too. I was reading your one blog about, do we wake up and know who we are? Do we attend to that emotional side? That's the hard muck. That's sort of the swampy work, I think, a lot is waiting into that territory because that's where the stories live about who we think we should be and how we're not living up to that or what regrets we have or what things didn't work out or, you know, all of those things. And just recognizing what our own biases are, how our own stories are limited so that we can break through those into, into more freedom. Because anything that we push away is tugging and would like to grab the steering wheel and steer our lives. And often they need to be named. And sometimes it helps if they have an age like, oh, I see you're a really young one. (laughs) Or I see you're the adolescent, you know, who needs a little freedom and a little guidance. So allowing these parts of us to show up and name them, then they can take their place and then they can support us instead of just pulling at us, nagging at us in some kind of way. For sure. I mean, and you mentioned the word bias. And I think that, you know, it's a powerful mindfulness practice when we examine our own biases, because we can forget that we even have them when we really look at them and pull them apart and break through them. Do you do things like that for yourself? That's a main focus for my work, because in my background, I also come from a community organizing and social justice and activist background. And so I burned out in that work <laughs> a number of years. Ago, I left that field and it's only in the last four or five years that I've returned to that. So I've been working with how to apply these non-dual principles of hospitality and welcoming in and breaking open stories to apply to the inner work of race and gender and look at where our own, where did we get our ideas? Where did they come from? What were the significant experiences that we had early in life that taught us to see the world in this kind of way? And there are lots of other people who are doing very important work around white privilege, around understanding your ancestry and your lineage and reading the full history of our country and understanding the gaps between our education and the way other people have experienced the world. And where do we fit into that? So that's a big, big part of my my personal work. The part that I'm really dedicated to is the inner work so that when we go out to join with other people for a particular kind of change that we see as needed or to engage with people in conversation who have very different ideas and perceptions, that we can do this from a place that's awakened and beneficial and where we understand our own role and, and place in this big story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really dovetails into the radical inclusion that you often talk about. I would love for you to, you know, really describe that in a little bit more detail for our listeners, if that is a new concept. 
to me, it began as a direct growth out of the healing work, which is all about inclusion and the radical part. <laughs> radical seems to be appearing in a lot of places now, and it, and it's often. <laughs> It's often thought of as radical, you know, as in a political sense or being the extreme edge of something. But actually, radical means root. The Latin root is radix, which means root. And it's about, so it's really about going to the root of how we see our own identities, our multiple identities, how they play out in us and our lives. What are the stories that we have around them? And our sense of identity actually takes a shape in the body from this perspective. And so as we work with our stories and where they came from, how did we learn who we are and what is it that distinguishes the other? Why do we see the other? What are the emotions that come up? How do they direct our behaviors? All the fears that come up of what we don't understand of people who are not like us and how they see and experience the world. So it's taking all that in. And so it includes working a lot with story. There's some creative approaches of using writing and drawing and stuff that I use. And then there's a part of it that is movement focused that actually works with the different shapes of the ego, a sense of identity can take in us. And by moving that with our bodies, it helps this unwinding process go along so that we are more open. And I think one of the one of the things I love about this work is that is how it cultivates humility, a humility around our stories. And there's a concept called narrative humility that comes out of some work at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital around healthcare and medical care. But it is this idea of being able to listen and to know that our story is one of many stories. Mm. Still our story. Yeah. But it's it's one of many stories. And how do we listen to the other stories and allow them to have their own existence? And then how do we create a space where there's alchemical exchange among those stories so that we can together, you know, open up into a bigger, more just world, really? So a common thread? A common thread, a common, I mean, because we are all, hu- we are all humans, Particularly, I think in a way, it's a bigger version of that experience you had when you saw that Facebook post. When people whose stories have been denied or gaslighted, you know, whether it's women in the workplace or a black person just walking in a suburban neighborhood, in a suburban neighborhood, you know, just to be met in the depth of the pain and the difficulties that that's caused and to just be validated in that allows us to then to to meet one another in that heart space, just as as that post touched you. Yes. Oh my gosh. Such powerful healing and really fascinating work. It sounds very unique about putting movement to the ego and actually working that through in a physical way as well. Sounds really, really powerful. At what point in your career did it feel safe to integrate or illuminate spirituality? I guess pretty early on, but it came from a misinformed place. (laughs) I was very early on the path and I didn't really understand a lot of my own limitations at that point. So when I burned out and left social justice work in the mid-90s, I took a year off. I wasn't able to work at all. I was just, my whole body, mind system was just fried. And so I turned to healing for myself found some people who could help me and at about that time found the teacher that you know I've been studying with all of these years 
So for me, it was a matter of sharing with other people what I was finding helpful over the years. And it was a challenge initially to find the language to communicate that in a way that they crossed esoteric boundaries. And because it's the ultimate practical work, because it, I mean, it deals with the stuff of our lives. It's not about what my early spirituality was, which was all about transcending. That was my error of understanding it, that I just wanted to be with God. I didn't want to be in a body. I didn't want to be here in earth and engaging in society. And, and it was really all about transcending, but it was as an escape, which was yeah. not a healthy thing. And so it's taken a long time to work myself through those issues, land in the body. Then when I became an herbalist, that helped a lot. That was part of that, coming into the body and coming into living on the earth with developing a relationship with the plants. I love that. I love that. They're very, very magical and grounding, no doubt. What kind of tips do you have for people to gain a little homeostasis among the global pause? I think the first thing would be don't believe everything you think. <laughs> Pay attention to it, but don't necessarily believe it. Pay attention to what you feel and don't necessarily believe it, that it's the whole truth of everything. That would be one thing. Another would be if there's a particular difficulty, something that you feel like you're pushing away and can't deal with it, find the time, the space, and the support to turn towards that difficulty because that is the pathway through. Our obstacles are the pathway. And it's a really tough lesson to learn. It doesn't seem to get any easier. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know, I know. And, you know, like we're designed to avoid pain. So it almost feels counterintuitive when our mentor is saying, run towards the obstacle. That's where all the magic is. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute. (laughs) It's a very, it's a really hard lesson, but it's it's extremely valuable. And then the, the other would be just to find the space to just sit with yourself and see and pay attention to the different voices that are going on in your head, the different sensations that are going on in your body. It's a really simple practice to just say, take a plain piece of paper and just write down as you're thinking about, as these things come up, just write, write each one down, uh, just a phrase, a few words and draw a circle around it. And you can, do, you can take as many pages as you need to just, it's amazing what can happen when you just are able to, it's like creating a little bit of a mirror for yourself to see what is it that's going on inside. And then you also get to see that there's a space in between, that there's stuff that you're not hearing that is also supporting you and from which that's the space from which the movement and the wisdom is going to come. Yeah, I really like that. I like, it's almost like a mind map. You know, I can envision just a bunch of post-it notes with all of these ideas and thoughts and, you know, really an opportunity for us to ask ourselves, is that true as well? Because many of the fears that are keeping us held back when they're right in front of us and we look at them, we could easily say, is that true? It can right. really and, shift big things. Yeah, and you see that alongside the other voices and messages that you're that you're giving yourself. And it's a really powerful, simple practice. Yeah, I really love that a lot. So on the note that was somewhere I read where you were talking about nourishing yearnings, and that really jumped out at me. And I have two questions. One, why do you think that many people suppress their desires? And two, how do we nourish our yearnings? Well, I, I have a fair amount of expertise in, 
<laughs> since I'm not I, surprised. That's why you're the perfect person for that question. <laughs> I can because I continue to struggle with what what is it that I want. It's a particularly an issue for women because we are generations we've been raised to take care of other people and to put other people's desires before ours so much so that we often don't even know where to look for our own. We're so used to to serving other people's desires. And that's where some of these idealizations come in about who we think we should be and so on. In a way, it's a, it's a practice of, as you were guiding your client in that conversation about receiving and the ability to receive. So that's part of it. Another piece is a lot of people are very goal-oriented and we, we work for a long time and we reach that place, we create that line of business, we land that client, we have that relationship, whatever that is, and then it's really dry. It's not juicy at all. It's not at all what we thought it would be. And sometimes it's because there was something a little bit off. It wasn't really our desire. And sometimes it's because there's something in us that blocks us from actually receiving the nourishment of what we've accomplished. Mm. We're supposed to be, it's unlike the narrative humility. This is like a false humility. No, I'm, you know, I'm not really going to take credit for that. Or there's something in us that blocks us from being able to receive the nourishment. And some of the most beautiful unfoldings that I've seen with clients are watching them move to a space where they're more and more open to actually the joy. And there's a sweetness that's available when we land something that's important to us or land in a place important to us and we can it's not a your your your, your listener is it's, it's not a sort of I'm great kind of thing. It's it's more of like oh, oh wow that that's sweet. <laughs> you know just a bunch of examples came flooding to my mind, especially with the female entrepreneurial space where when they've accomplished something Many times they skip over the celebration part and that self-acknowledgement and that deep exhale of fulfillment. And if I bring it to their minds or if I even task them, what are you going to do nice for yourself this week? It's a struggle for a lot of people because they're just on to the next thing on the to-do list. And it's really so very interesting because you know, like you mentioned before about the feminine and the nurturing and the caregiving, and they would be the first ones to make sure that everybody else's cup is fulfilled and right to the brim around them. But for themselves, it's very, very common for that well to be dry, you know, for that to be turned inward. It's really incredible. Do you have like one closing tip that you could give people so they could... I think just take one step closer to filling up their own cup. I would say let your habits break open. They keep us from moving freely and life is always asking us to keep moving and our habits fix us in in place. They do give us a certain stability and life is always bumping up against those habits and asking us to keep, keep moving. So I would say to people, trust that, be willing to be at your working moving edge and to let your habit break open even if it leaves you in free fall for a little while. 
find a friend to stand by. <laughs> yes, absolutely. A safety net, a safety, beautiful parachute there to hold you. I yeah. can like have tea by the fire with you, Sarah, for like many hours. I don't think that our conversational well would run dry. Well, let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, let's do it again. Absolutely. How can people get a hold of you? They can find me at my website, alifeofpractice.com. And they can email me at alifeofpractice at gmail.com and find me on Facebook. Beautiful. I'll put the links in the show notes. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm just so looking forward to sharing this message of a life of practice with the listeners. I think that that you really shared your heart and a lot of beautiful practical tips that they can put into place right away. So thank you so very much. Thank you, Casey. It was fun. Yeah, it was. Absolutely. Take good care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode on women developing brilliance. If so, head on over to Apple iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And I'd be grateful if you could leave a review or rating so more people can benefit from these inspirational stories about the solopreneur journey. Thank you.